0: Thanks Jill, thanks team. Morning church. Morning Brandon. It is good, very good to be with you today. As always, I'm excited. Uh, this is a true story. I literally woke up with Eye of the Tiger running through my head and I jumped out of bed and played it and I was like bum, 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 bum. Just like getting ready. My wife, it's true. Um, so anyways, I, I'm really pumped for today. Today we are continuing our series of Noel, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're gonna dive into it. Um, So growing up, my favorite topic in school was history. Anyone like history in school? Sweet, four of us, awesome, I love it. (laughs) Um, History's great, and so I think what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a little bit of time, talk a little history today, to connect us to a really rich heritage that we have in following Jesus. So Jesus came, he had disciples, he lived with them, he taught them, he, he breathed life into them, and then he commissioned them as he ascended into heaven and he said, go into all the world and make disciples. And that's exactly what they did, but they had to play a lot of roles. They were evangelists, right? They were teachers and preachers and they were pastors and they had a unique challenge at the beginning because the, the word about Jesus spread and it spread kind of quickly too. And whenever information is spreading quickly, it's always hard to kind of put guardrails around it so that people are knowing, believing, thinking the right things. This was especially difficult in the first century because, one, almost nobody could read. And even if you could read, the materials for reading were really hard to get out. They were super expensive, and they were really hard to get a hold of. And so what the church did, knowing that a lot of new things, Jesus came and he introduced a lot of new things. And so in order to kind of keep that in check, they wrote songs. They had songs that, that proclaimed the glory of Jesus coming to earth, that, that, that pictured him as fully God and fully man, and these were what helped them maintain orthodoxy through the growing of the church. And we still do this today. I mean, if I were to stand up here and say the ABCs to you, you're all going to be thinking, right? It, it just, that's the right song, right? Okay, yeah. I got real nervous after I sang it. Um, But yeah, we still use it as a useful tool. And the ABCs are crucial for us, right? They open up all of the world of literature. We couldn't read without the ABCs. And so we still use songs to teach us the essential things in our world today. And the early Christians were the exact same. So the reason I say all of this is because what we're doing in this series of Noel, going back to these Christmas Christian hymns and songs, is we are partnering with our forefathers in the faith. Going back to the very earliest ages. Even Paul, in, first, in writing to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, wrote this. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has, what's the first one? A hymn. A lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. That, that word hymn can also be translated as spiritual song. In other words, when you get together, sing, sing about Jesus, be reminded about Jesus, be reminded about who he is and who he is to you. And so what we're doing by singing songs and talking about songs is what Christians have been doing for a long, long time. So history is cool and we should all like it, that's what I'm saying. But today we are looking at a very specific song, right? Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, And so what I want to do is is a little bit more history, and then I promise we'll keep going, okay? So hang with me for a little bit. So Heart to Held Angels Sing, published in 1736. It was written by a man named Charles Wesley. Now, you might know a man by the name of John Wesley. He was responsible primarily for the movement called the Wesleyan Movement or the Methodist Movement. Uh, His brother, Charles, kind of co-founded it with him. So they were partners in this process, right? and john would always talk of himself as the head right he was he was the guy who would literally get on a horse and ride all across north america and, and england to preaching this new way of understanding jesus and it was electrifying for him and for many others so he would always talk about him as the head right but he would talk of his brother charles as the heart of this movement and the reason he did that is because charles was a hymnist he was a hymn writer he wrote over 9000 hymns and sacred poems in a busy half a century of ministry. As many as 400 of those hymns are still being used in modern hymnals today, roughly, somewhere around 400. I mean this, this dude knew how to write a song. And the purpose of his songs were to to construct to the, he constructed these songs to vivify, illustrate and inculcate Methodist doctrines and were profoundly inspired by the pages of the Bible. J.E. Rattenberry was a contemporary of Wesley's. He said this of of him and of his hymns, A skillful man, if the Bible were lost, might extract it from Wesley's hymns. They contain the Bible in solution. So what Rattenberry is, is alluding to here is, Wesley had a really good talent of taking these massive ideas of the Bible and distilling them down to their essential elements, distilling them down to a, a line or maybe a verse that, that has packed into the divinity of Jesus all the way to, to, the, to, to the Holy Spirit. It was just, it, he had a way with words that, that could be put to a tune that just lifted the heart and inspired the mind. And he does that definitely with this song that we're gonna talk about today. So this song... It was written in a really interesting time in church history. There was, a, there was a period in time where there was a movement in the Anglican church called the Puritan movement. And the Puritans wanted to purify the church, right? They, they thought that the church had kind of gone off track a little bit. And so they wanted to set up stricter guidelines, stricter boundaries for the church so that it would become more pure. And they didn't only want to do that. They wanted to do it in the larger culture as well and so they put people they got people elected into some policy making positions in Parliament in England and so what they decided to do was to change the church and to change the culture and one of the one of the things that they really didn't like about the church or the culture at the time was the celebration of Christmas uh, and they didn't like it because the wider culture took this as a day not of celebration Jesus as much as as getting drunk and being in debauchery and getting into a bunch of of harmful situations for themselves. And so they they had a knee-jerk reaction to that response, and they said, okay, we're just going to pause slash cancel Christmas. And that lasted for about 70 years, where they had people lined up, like they had guards lined up at churches looking at the pastor saying, if you preach a Christmas sermon, we will take you to jail. Talk about intimidation, right? And so that lasted for about 70 years. But what happened because of that is for about 100 years, there weren't really a ton of new Christmas songs. And Wesley's song comes in the middle of that time period. It comes in a time period where the church and its songs of Christmas had been muzzled. And what Wesley does is he tries to take the church's imagination and put it back to the inaugural story of our redemption. He tells us and encourages us to listen for the angels are singing. Okay, history lesson done. We can all take a breath, right? So what I want to do now is I want to talk about the song. Before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would come into this place. I ask, God, that your word would go forth. I, I don't admit to know very much of anything, but I know you, and I know that you love us and you love this people. So, God, make yourself known today, and may you be glorified in our midst. In Christ's holy name, amen. So this song is packed full of goodness, right? What I did in preparation for this sermon is I went through each line to see if, just like to see if I could connect each line to a truth of scripture. And it was super easy. If I, if I had time, if I, I would do like a seminar on each line going through, we'd be here for four hours. It'd be a lot of fun. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. No, it would be a lot of fun. But instead of doing that, so we won't do that, instead we're going to go through each stanza, and we're going to try to, and I was inspired by Wesley in this, I want to try to dilute each stanza down to its essential element to see where Wesley is taking us and what God wants to say to us today through this great Christian Christmas hymn. Christian Christmas hymn. That works. So I put title headings over each stanza to kind of help us grab a hold of them a little bit better. If you have your notes page, you could probably see them. The title headings are the song, the Savior, and the salvation. The song, the Savior, and salvation. So let's begin by talking about the first stanza of the song. I'll read it aloud because sometimes when we sing a song, we know it so well that we actually don't know what the song is really saying. You know what I'm saying? We just sing it, but we don't know what it actually means. So take a moment and just listen to these words being read over you. Stanza one. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. So good. So when I was a kid, I was really into music. Um, I wasn't super good at sports, and I kind of found my niche in music, and I really liked it a lot. So I started playing the guitar and the piano and really enjoyed it. But because of that, I went to a lot of concerts as a kid. Um, And I loved going to concerts and seeing bands play. But there was one moment in every concert that I loved most of all. It was unique to any other experience. You couldn't get it from listening to a CD. You couldn't get it from any other moment except if you were at the show because, something happened with the people in one place in this band. So, and it was the same no matter the venue. Whether it was small venue or big venue, it was exactly the same. But what would happen is the band would come on stage. But before the band would come on stage, they would always kind of come from like an offshoot, right? Or unless it was like Justin Bieber and he like jumped out of the the floor or whatever. But most of the time, they kind of come from backstage and take their instruments and get ready. And usually especially the people in the front row, they would see them coming from far off. And they would would do something that would set off this chain reaction in the stadium or arena or whatever. They would see them and they would let out a piercing shout. They would scream their heads off because they saw the band coming and they knew that this band was about to take up their instruments and rock our socks off. So... What that was, is that that was the alarm, that that piercing shout was the alarm to everyone else in the room that the band's coming and we need to get really excited about it. And so what would happen is this cascading effect of applause would just erupt in the place. I mean, people throwing their arms back and shouting because something's about to happen. Something cool is about to happen on stage. And what I want to present to you today is that this song, the angel's song in Luke 2 and in this song here, is that piercing shout. It is that alarm that wakes up the whole world and says, something's happening, something's coming, get ready. This word hark literally means to incline one's ear. So like tilt your head back, get ready because I'm about to say something that's really important. So hark, hearken up people because something's happening over here. The angels are singing and they're singing of what? They're singing glory. Glory. Right, It starts with this one angel appearing to a bunch of dudes on a hill watching their flocks by night. And this angel says, boy, do I have good news for you. And this angel is joined by a multitude. It says a multitude, a ton of different angels. And they proclaim this over them. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The song of the angels sing forth peace and hope. Also, let's think about this for a moment. During a time where this song was written, the church was silent in their praise of Christmas. They were not singing. And Wesley says, listen, the song's already playing. The song's already going on. It started a long time ago. And the angels have been that piercing shout. Listen to it and find your place in the chorus. The first two lines here, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. I hope create a similar kind of amazement and excitement in us, in anticipation for us. Heaven is singing the song of peace. That This is the hope of the whole world, especially the world that we find ourselves in today, where it seems that we wake up to a new atrocity a new darkness that has entered the world somehow. But oh followers of Jesus, do we have hope. The hope was sung about a long time ago, 2,000 years ago, and it is still being sung. There's another line in this first stanza, peace on earth and mercy mild. The hope of peace on earth is not just found in Luke 2. So hang with me with this metaphor for just a little bit longer. If the angels are the people in the front row who are shouting because the band's about to hit the stage, then the prophet Isaiah is the concert promoter, right? Because about 500 years before this event on a hill, a lonely hill, Isaiah is shouting forth, maybe not shouting, but he is proclaiming this prophecy in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six and seven. For unto us is born, A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And catch this next part. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end this is something to shout about friends this is something to get excited about when the angels were proclaiming this with a multitude they were saying that yeah Jesus is coming and with him comes peace and this peace doesn't end it it has an everlasting effect there is no end to his governance and his governance equals peace on earth they're shouting forth this proclamation they sing it over us today so hundreds of years before Luke 2 ever happened, Isaiah was, sing- he, he was he was putting up posters all over the place. This is about to happen. This is coming. This is coming your way. Get ready for it, people. And then the angels say, it's finally here. So the first, if you're taking notes today, I'd encourage you to write this down, to kind of put this stanza into one sentence. The angel's song is the song of our salvation. The truth of God coming to earth in the form of his son, Jesus, is not a song that was sung, but it is still being sung today. Each time we come to faith in the saving knowledge of who Jesus is, the song is continuing to be sung over us. And with them, we find our place in the chorus, and we shout and proclaim, Christ has been born in Bethlehem. He's come. We're not hoping for him to come. He has already come, and now we hope for his return. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Second stanza, the Savior. First stanza is the song. The second stanza is the Savior. reads like this. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. In this stanza, we we press pause on the traditional Christmas story. and, And we stop talking about what Christmas is about and start talking about who Christmas is about. In this stanza, we are covering crazy, crazy theological overtones that that would take a long time to to divulge in their entirety. I mean, we are talking about uh, the eternality of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, the, the dualistic nature of Jesus, the miraculous and mysterious birth of Jesus, and the incarnation of Jesus. Literally every line in this stanza is soaked with theological significance. There's a lot going on here but let's assume for a moment that Wesley isn't just listing true things about Jesus. Let's assume that he's trying to take us somewhere, that he's trying to teach us something specific about who God is. And let's incline, let's hearken, right, our ears to what Jesus and what God is saying to us today. So, I, so the question here is, what, what, what can we learn about who God is and what Jesus is, uh, who Jesus is? And I think to, to answer that question, Briefly, let's go back to the prophet Isaiah, this time in chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. In the whole of this song, this song, is it's a Christmas carol, so it's about Jesus coming to earth. But in the whole of this song, the name Jesus is only ever used once. And it's used specifically, and it's used very intentionally because it's used in conjunction with the title Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. So imagine this. Imagine Wesley is taking us through the Amazon of theological significance around Jesus. And, and he's chopping through this thick, dense wood in front of us, and, and he's leading us through paths, and, and we're, we're learning new species, and we're learning new plants, and we're learning all of these powerful and significant things. And at the end of that journey, we come to the person, the man, Jesus. See, I think it's easy, whether, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or you, Maybe you're new to the faith, or maybe you know nothing about Jesus. But I think it's easy for us to get caught up in facts about Jesus, truths about Jesus. Now, hear me, at my core, I'm a, I'm a Bible teacher, and so those are essential. They, they, make, us, they, they make our belief system distinct from others. The, the idea of who Jesus is is crucial for our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. We need to know what he represents as well as who he is. We can't know that at the expense of the man himself, of the person, of the friend, of the person who, who knows me in my sin, who knows us in our sin, and loves us enough to sacrifice himself and make a way to God, make a way to salvation. Sometimes it's so easy to get wrapped up in in the hustle and bustle of this season, especially, but in life in general, that we forget the friend that we have in Jesus. The friend who, who what, sits closer than a brother or a sister. The friend who, who knows even the hairs that are counted on our head. The friend who sacrificed the glory of heaven so that we might know God. May we never miss this point. May we never get so caught up in knowing facts or truths about Jesus that we miss the man himself. The point here I, I'm wanting to make is to, to dilute this down, distill this down a little bit is Jesus is not an idea to get behind. He is a person who loves you and the God who created you. And there's a lot, even in just that one sentence, Jesus being fully man and fully God, there's a lot there. But this Christmas season, I, I implore you, I encourage you with my whole heart, take time to meet with the friend Jesus, the person Jesus. He will meet with you. He is with you. He promised that. Before he left the disciples, he said, I am with you even to the end of the age. I'm never going away. Though I might be gone bodily, I will send my Holy Spirit to you. He is even here now in this room. He is not an idea to get behind. He is the person who loves you and the God who created you. Which leads us to stanza three the salvation. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons and daughters of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn King. The song of hope has been heralded in the first stanza. The profile of our Savior has been sketched and etched upon our hearts in the second stanza. And now the triumphant end has all to do with the ultimate salvation of the world. Here at the end of the song, we find a repetition of themes. First, hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, right? We read about that in Isaiah 9. And, and now it's not just us proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Or it's not just the angels. It's us proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Hail, the son of righteousness. And that word son is, is there on purpose. It is S-U-N because the next line, light and life to all he brings. He is, he is this flaming ball of light that springs forth. And wherever his rays touch, he brings forth life from the ground. The third stanza is really our stanza. This is our part of the song. The first stanza is an invitation. It's the piercing shout that gets our attention. The second stanza is Jesus. It fills our minds with the significance of who he is, and, and, and it challenges us to know more of him, but it also invites us into a relationship with God with us, Jesus our Emmanuel. And the third is where we celebrate. This is the party that is thrown because Jesus has come to the earth and has made us new. This is where we sing. And going on, he is is the risen Savior whose triumph over death and the grave gives us hope in life. He is risen with healing in his wings. By his stripes, we are made whole. We are healed right and then again we emphasize that in his mild and humble nature jesus has forsaken his glorious estate in order to be born in human form and taken upon himself our sin which is a point that must never be glossed over normally when we talk about mildness we're talking about salsa in our culture right but here it's it's used as humility because Jesus was humble enough to sacrifice all of heaven, he, he, had, he had no obligation. He had no responsibility to me, per se. But he saw me in my brokenness, and he said, I want to go there. I, 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 will, I will miss, I, I will move from the glories of heaven to meet them there so this mildness mildly he lays his glory by this this is this is something i pray that i would emulate more and more because this is that is for me that is for us i did not and do not deserve him yet he makes himself available to all who come to him and, and please hear me today on this he makes himself himself available to all who want him if, if you're here today and you're thinking man you don't know my story you don't know me you don't know what I've been through or what I think he, he couldn't sacrifice glory for me and I want to say to you, he did and he does over and over and over and over again. He has made a way for us to know God fully and entirely. And this Christmas season, may we come to that knowledge over and over and over again and be amazed by it and celebrate in it. And then the last three lines before the refrain is our anthem and our hope. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons and daughters of earth. Born to give them second birth. This is why we as followers of Jesus make a big deal out of Christmas. It's not because Christmas is cute, even though it is. It's not because Christmas is about giving gifts or or showing kindness or love. It is about we were dead in our sins and Christ has come to set us free and make us new again. We celebrate Christmas because Christ was compelled by love to see me worthy of his affection. I'm not worthy of that and I want to celebrate that friends. Right, that's why at the the top of this verse, we're singing, hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Now I'm at the front of the parade saying, get out of the way, get out of the way. Jesus is coming. Have you heard? Jesus is coming. Hail his name. It's a big, huge deal. Because there was a point in my life when I was broken and lost and he saw me in that and had no regard for me and met me there. And so I will celebrate his birth. I will celebrate his coming because I am made new by him. And all over, all over the place in the Bible, we see this more and more. But one place specifically and so beautifully, we see it in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That the world might be saved through him. This is Christmas. We we don't celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection just on Easter. That's an everyday thing. It's a Christmas thing too. Because the truth is, if this one man wasn't born, then I would still be dead. But because he was born, I have been given life and life eternally. And so the last point here of of this stanza, and and I think of maybe even the whole song, is this. We celebrate Christmas out of the overflow of joy we have in our own salvation. We get excited about Christmas because we have been saved. We've been offered salvation, right? And so what do we do? We, we bring trees into our homes and we light them up and we make a huge meal and we invite people over and we say, eat, have your fill because Jesus has saved me, he has come to earth and I'm pumped about it. We throw a huge party. It's not about the party, it's about Jesus. But might as well have a meal. While we're around, right? Yeah. So, this Christmas season, may we come to a new or possibly renewed appreciation for the truth and treasure we have in these Christmas hymns. As Pastor Chris has said in the past couple of sermons, please listen to this song. Please get your family together and listen to this song, and sit underneath the idea of of that piercing shout that the angels have. And then, and then sit in the weight of who Jesus really is and, and, and the powerful significance that he brings to the earth and the friend, the intimate friend that he is to you and to me. And then lastly, throw a party for crying out loud. Like get excited because Jesus is coming to the world. And celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. And do so while listening to this song together as a family on your own in quiet meditation and prayer. Listen to it. Read read, read the song together. May we recognize that long tradition we have as Christians of putting the truths of Scripture to a tune that inspires the mind and uplifts the heart. Also, may we take time this year to reminisce and ponder on Jesus. Listen, I, I know that Christmas is hard. It's hard for a lot of us because of family stuff. It's hard for all, for many of us because there's so many gifts to buy and so many responsibilities on all of us. But let's not miss Jesus in the midst of it. Let's not overlook him. Let's take time and ponder on who Jesus is. May we sing songs declaring Jesus' worth. May we pray earnestly for the salvation of our souls and souls all around the world. May we find our place in the courts of heaven, declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. May we be the peace of the world as our Savior was and is and will forever be. And may we pray for his swift return. Finally, may we listen to the songs of the angels and be renewed by their melody. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that your word would go forth today. And that, Lord, you would would turn our affections to Jesus this Christmas season. That we would be moved once again by our own salvation. Thank you, God, for great songs like this that remind us who Jesus is. That reminds us of, of what he is about in the world and what he's about in my world, in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Thank you, God, for sending him. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for for being in us and around us. So now, God, as we go, I pray for my friends that they would experience you in more tangible ways than ever before, eh, before any Christmas, before this one. May your gospel go forth, and may you capture our hearts for you. Lord, we love you, and we trust you. In Christ's name, amen.